0: Hi film boos, I'm Deanna.
1: And I'm Ben.
0: Welcome to Filmscape, a movie reviewing podcast. Today we're reviewing The Green Knight, a fantasy film based on the medieval 14th century poem Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. Friends, brothers and sisters. Who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Fortale. One of your knights. Try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will meet you. Ben, what were your thoughts about this movie?
1: It was okay. I liked it well enough. But it was also really boring. Liar. And kind of dumb. So I give it like a 5 out of 10. And uh, if you want to go, go. It's okay. Uh, what did you think of it? Oh, you agree? Yeah, I think Lies so too. Lies and slander. Um, well, thanks everyone for listening and uh you can find us on filmscapepodcast.com and listen to our podcast. Okay. Bye.
0: <laughs> He's a liar. Dirty um, liar.
1: Hey, I'm not dirty. <laughs> uh, okay. I loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. It was everything I wanted it to be. And I enjoyed like every minute of it. It was so refreshing in so many ways. It felt like a legit creepy A24 movie, there hasn't been one of those in a while, and it was really nice to get another one. If you don't know the story, as we said, this is based on a medieval poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and this is King Arthur's nephew. The basic plot is that it's Christmas time, and there's festivities happening at Castle Camelot, At the round table, Gowan wants to prove himself but hasn't really gone on any adventures yet or has things he can boast about in his life. So they kind of establish that at the beginning. But then this crazy thing happens where during their festivities, a big green tree monster is conjured up or summoned or something by a sorceress. And this is already where the movie differs from the poem. As we synopsize things, don't be surprised if they're different from the poem, because this is not a straight adaptation at all. It takes many liberties, it adds all kinds of things, which are good, in my opinion. We see the Green Knight being conjured up, because it keeps going back and forth between him arriving in the hall and Morgan Le Fay, which is Gowan's mother, performing a ritual and doing some creepy witchcraft with other witches in a room i guess nearby and doing all kinds of occult activities and making this happen and the green knight gets off his trusty steed and challenges everyone to a game which is if anyone can land a blow on him with one of their weapons they'll win his awesome axe but they'll have to come to his green chapel next christmas and receive a blow from him of an equal measure and Gowan pops up and says I'll do it he's an eager young guy and the green knight just lets him do it without putting up a fight and Gowan is very confused and says come on face me but the green knight is just surrendering basically so he just chops off his head and then he thinks oh well I guess that's done but the knight just picks his head up and reminds everyone what those terms were and then rides off like the headless horseman Laughing. Yeah, which is one of my favorite shots of the movie when he's riding away from the castle. And it's truly haunting and creepy. It is. So that's the general setup. This is a famous poem, I think, in Middle Ages English. I read that lots of English majors have to read it at some point in their studies. One of the things I love about this movie is how it maintains all the content from the poem essentially but it really does all the right creative decisions to make it work as a movie and add all these other fantasy elements too to just kind of beef it up and really add all kinds of crazy visuals and scenes and and world building and I absolutely I just ate all of that stuff up I thought it was (laughs) so it was so well done it was so immersive It's been a long time since I've seen a movie like this. And I just absolutely, I savored all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, it was just, it it was such a beautiful film in many ways. In in the dialogue, in the cinematography, in all aspects that you can really imagine. And I think it's a really great experience for people who are willing to go with the flow. Really, they're there to immerse themselves in that person's experience in there and that time happening rather than feeling like it has to be fighting happening every moment or like
1: rather than there being a battle every 10 minutes you feel like
0: you're you're there for the journey that he's on you know that gowan's on rather than the way that i feel like a lot of the time movies kind of go very formulaically like and he and this one is more you're in for the ride and you really have to just
1: This movie is about as unformulaic as you can get, which I love, but plenty of people won't. And there's really no action. I mean, yes, there's action, but there's no battles. There's no wars and big set pieces. This really is basically an independent movie. It's a very small budget for a fantasy movie, but it's like one of the most amazing looking movies in many years, which goes to show that I think as we've said before on this show, at some point, big budgets does not equal great movie necessarily or right. you know, it's all about the craft and the determination and the willingness and the knowledge of the people who are making it. And you can go a really long way with a pretty small budget into making something truly impressive and visually incredible, go to lots of different locations. I mean I cannot believe this movie is the budget is fifteen million dollars. That's even more impressive. Definitely. There have been some other King Arthur adaptations, and they've been mostly disappointing. Uh, (laughs) The more recent ones, not the older ones, but, like, they usually suck out all the fantasy elements, or they just make them generic action movies, Yeah. and there's just no soul to it. It's so boring, and I'm just so tired of movies like that, and it's just so great to see someone go the other way and actually really care about the lore, having the imagination and the balls to make something this weird and fantastical. It's very surreal in places, and it's slow moving, for sure. And that touches on what we said before, there's no battles, there's no action. And I'm sure if they had that in this movie, it would be great. But this movie is really committing to a vision of going on this journey with Gowan. And yes, he gets into trouble and all kinds of weird, interesting, suspenseful things happen. But it's it's very dreamlike and it's psychological and there's all these different themes going on. A very special thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, so a few months ago, Ben and I and you know some of you listeners may remember that we recorded an episode about a webinar that we attended with David Lowry. And he made it very clear, David Lowry made it very clear that his movies will kind of create this fork in the road for people. He knows that it's not a movie that will be appealing to every person. He said that right off the bat, and he recognized that. But he wanted people to still, he wanted the audience to still be able to enjoy the beauty of the film, and he also wanted it to be an experience where different audiences could get something out of it, even if it wasn't statistically what they would, because it's not formulaic. It's not what is traditional in a film that, yes, it's not going to appeal to every single person, but he wanted every person to feel like they got something in a small way, even though it's... Potentially
1: it, divisive. Exactly. Very, very much like his other movie, A Ghost Story, which right. is my favorite of his up to this. That's also a very divisive movie. Very unique, pretty experimental, slow, melancholic, obviously haunting. If you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. It's hard to describe unless you've seen it. We go into his other movies in that episode, so go check that out if you haven't listened and you're interested.
0: One of the things that he had said was... He didn't want this movie to be attended by only people who were fans of the 14th century and would be so obsessed and, like, nerds about that. He wanted, like, there to be people who had an interest in other aspects of that type of world and the fantasy that goes with it, even if you're not a connoisseur of of the medieval.
1: And if you're a stickler for wanting this to be just a straight adaptation of the poem, I'm sure it would drive you crazy because this is not that at all. When I was watching it, I sort of was reminded... It's interpretation. Exactly. It's like if you go to the Suspiria remake and you thought it was too different from the original. I mean, that's a good thing, in my opinion, when remakes dare to be pretty different. And that movie is so different from the original. There's so much more to it that it, it just kind of follows the general story beats and like the setting while changing so much of everything else about it. And this I think is does something kind of similar where it's not remaking another movie. though there is a kind of obscure Green Knight movie from I think the 80s with like Sean Connery in it. Hmm. But this very much goes in all kinds of different directions. It follows a lot more kind of pagan and ghostly spookier avenues goes a lot farther with him let's just say not really conforming to what a a chivalrous knight should be because that's a really big part of the poem that gets it's just condensed in this because there's a whole section so he goes on his adventure and we'll talk about some of those amazing scenes but there's a, a really long section of the poem. Is He finds this castle near the Green Chapel. It's almost a year later, and he has to make his appointment with the Green Knight. And there's a whole long section where he stays with this friendly lord and lady. He stays with them for three nights before he has to go to the chapel. And each night, she visits his bedchamber, and they have these long kind of romantic conversations. And the lord isn't around, so she's kind of being mischievous and teasing him, and it's this whole romantic back and forth, but all they do I think is like kiss each other in like a welcoming way, I think. That's kinda how it comes across. So he's being tempted and then at the end with his confrontation with the Green Knight, that kinda ends up being important to it because there's all these themes of staying true to a knight and not giving in to temptation and all the all these different things. And this movie it does deal with those themes, but it's just very different. And then the ending is also who the Green Knight is, what the meaning of all of this is, it's similar to the poem thematically, but in all these other ways, it's pretty different. And that was really nice, that it really is kind of taking the the poem and really becoming its own thing, and being unpredictable for someone who does know the story, because this takes a very specific artistic direction, instead of just being an adaptation of it.
0: I thought that... Joel Edgerton who's the friendly lord and like with the lady who's played by Alicia Vikander. There were some really beautiful scenes with a uh, Dev Patel who plays Sir Gawain his experiences like gets a portrait taken and that's a very beautiful shot visually. I feel I feel like there's this movie kind of borders in I think that they're, thematically, it is playing consistently with the world of what is light and what is dark and, and kind of shifting between and betwixt because it's a lot of what you're viewing in the beginning of the movie appears very dark because, I mean, they don't have lighting. It's the 14th century or, you know, that time. and But then when they're outside, it's gloomy while still being really bright and captivating and it pulls you in. And I think that there's... That in itself had me really, I feel like I was just so invested because I, it was beautifully shot and the music was beautiful. I mean, I, I especially really loved the music. I was trying to do some research about how the music is by Daniel Hart and the music does also create this, I feel like everything in this movie is trying to straddle this border between either the light and the dark the supernatural with the real and it's up to us as the viewer to let ourselves go and be part of it i tried to let myself do that in a way where it just it made me love the movie more i mean it was just so pretty when i heard the music i'm coming from the background of of having a music major and especially coming from a voice background i was consistently thinking about the dissonance i had brought up to you that i think you'd feel this sense of conflict that Sir Gawain is uh, feeling. The music was made to make us as the viewer feel uncomfortable consistently and to feel that edge that Sir Gawain is feeling where he's consistently like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what it really means to be a knight. I'm figuring this out as I go along. No one is necessarily telling me what it is that being a knight really is, except the fact that I am supposed to have this honor, strength, courage, valor, and maintaining this level of bravery.
1: Yeah, he's a layabout. He hangs out in a brothel with this commoner, Essel. He drinks and, living an aimless life, enjoying his royalty, coasting on his good looks and relation to King Arthur. But, What's kind of funny about this movie is the difference between this and the poem is what sets him on his quest. And it's his mother directly is who summons the Green Knight and makes this happen. So she is part of what makes Gawain feel the need to see this out and have the year go by and then go and keep this promise the way a knight would because he did spring up and meet this challenge. What's different in this, in this movie is that Morgan Le Fay is his mother, and she's the one who's behind it, which is also true in the poem. But in this, it's his mother and King Arthur's sister. Whereas in the poem, Morgan Le Fay is this blind, older woman who just kind of hangs out in that castle where the Lord is. And Morgan Le Fay and King Arthur are kind of at odds in the stories, rivalry between her and King Arthur, and I'm sure people who know more about all this understand that, but doesn't really go into it in this or in the story. In this case, it's Gawain's mother. The whole catalyst is his mother basically trying to get him out of the castle and go make something of himself, go out into the real world, face some challenges and hardships, and build character, I guess, which is a little bit funny when you think about it. So... Gowan has to live up to this reputation that he's gotten because he comes across like he's a strong, brave guy that he met the challenge of this big green tree monster. He kind of feels like, oh, it was just a game. Do I really have to do this? King Arthur tells him it might be a game, but you have to see it through. And his mother gives him a green girdle that claims no harm will come to him as long as he wears it. The year nearly gone already. You must seek him out. Was it not just a game? Perhaps, but it is not complete. You will find no mercy,
0: no happy end. Why do you stop me?
1: My doom is at hand.
0: You rest your bones. I'll finish your quest for you.
1: He sets off and the quest begins. Starts with one really awesome scene that I love where it's a really long shot where Gowan is just riding his horse down the road. Some kids are chasing after him and saying, hey, Gowan, and whatever. And then they kind of just stop after a while because he keeps going. He's probably like, yeah, this is going to be a pain in the butt. If you go all the way to this stupid chapel, I don't even know where it is. And soon enough, he goes to a battlefield where I think King Arthur's army had fought. He crosses that for a long time, and there's this spunky scavenger that runs alongside him. He kind of just gives this long monologue, and it's pretty amusing. And eventually, he turns out to be a bandit, and they show this in the trailer. And that's kind of the first hardship he has.
0: What I don't get about the bandits... Is that first he's he's approached by one of the bandits by one of these schemers and he's and he's asked about could you give a kindness and
1: after he tells them the directions because I guess right. he asks them for directions to the Green Chapel
0: yeah and he's given the guy says oh yeah I'll go this way and then he asks for a kindness even though he's not a knight he doesn't know all the things that he's supposed to do or what people or what not to do and when he's asked for a kindness by this schemer this bandit the bandit is so aggressive. He, he's so aggressive about asking for money, basically, and asking for, like, oh, is there some sort of, again, incentive, something I can get out of this because I gave you something. You know, I gave you the directions that you that you have been seeking. I, to me, he was, he was extra and he was too much. Yes, that's the point. But then it also made me feel like, well, you could tell that Sir Gowan did not... He didn't know really what he was supposed to do in that moment. And I kept having this even with the music again playing in the background a feeling of you shouldn't really be interacting with this dude not really that doesn't really seem like a good idea and then it turned out not to you know obviously to be not a good idea mm. you know and the guy tells him about you know oh, I'll continue your journey for you and I and that also made me feel really unsettled and very uncomfortable because I thought okay what are you going to do do you really know what I'm what my journey is you're just stealing my stuff from me and having me be hostage.
1: And he kind of takes all his stuff. And then Gowan has this really, this amazing shot of him as a skeleton bound and gagged with sun coming in through the trees in the corner. But then it ends up just kind of being a vision and he's still just struggling.
0: Beautiful and creepy visual about the time passing with the skeleton, which some people might think, what is the point of this? But it's really, I think, supposed to give the sense of The feeling of taking forever and that you even told me about if he doesn't do something, he's going to die there. Like, that's going to be what his destiny is if he's there.
1: When they leave, he goes and is able to free himself. But he's now without his things. Each encounter he has brings him closer to death and makes him realize his mortality. Yeah. And, uh, And this is kind of the first test. What I love about how the movie proceeds is that this what I love about how this movie proceeds is that he's just going through the world stumbling on these various scenarios and people and and other people's stories and it's just spending some time with them and then he has to keep going and like the way the real world is a real fantasy mythological world in this case would be and this might sound a little bit silly but It reminds me of playing a really, really great open world fantasy game. The best ones, I mean, like Elder Scrolls games, specifically Skyrim, because that game is pretty, it's probably the most gritty, dark, immersive. Obviously, it's the latest one, so it has the best graphics and best world design, and it's the most detailed. But it does have a lot of areas in Skyrim that are pretty gloomy, wintry British, Ireland kinda of landscapes. And this movie is filmed in Ireland and and maybe in England too. And it really does make use of the the gloomy, misty areas of that land. And they, they keep mentioning like misty mountains in mm-hmm. the poem. So they obviously were being true to that. And it oh, create yeah. it has a amazing, beautiful fall atmosphere. It kinda of reminded me of Another polarizing movie that came out recently mm-hmm. called Gretel and Hansel, which I actually yeah. loved. And that also had an amazing, beautiful fall atmosphere that also took place a lot in the woods. People who liked that movie, I bet, would like this. Because that's another kind of slow-moving, creepy, right, introspective, suspenseful movie. On the Skyrim thing, this next part of the movie reminded me a lot of like a really melancholic, spookier quest in a game like Skyrim, where he's on foot trying to get after those bandits, and he comes to an abandoned cottage, and there's a bed there, and he just falls asleep because no one's around. He ends up being awakened by this ghost, a young woman named Winifred. By the way, this scene is not at all in the poem this is added in. This is a real saint from the 7th century in Wales, and she was beheaded And this is a ghost of a woman who's beheaded and he wants her to retrieve her head. It's like this little kind task he can do for this ghost and there's all these visuals and I just like loved it and I've never seen anything like it even in like a horror movie.
0: I mean one thing that I thought about with Winifred is it's again it's another test brought in for him to measure his his ability to be a knight and again the expectation of if you're a commoner or you're just a lay person, you might expect things to be reciprocated. But as a knight, you're supposed to do things for the purpose of doing them...
1: To help others. Exactly. You're supposed to be honorable and Exactly. It's, it's,
0: you're supposed to be noble. But yet there's a moment when he... He may not mention anything about being a knight, but he obviously portrays himself and appears to be a knight when he asks her about... What would you give me in return? And then she says, so why would you ever ask me that? It is a moment in which, as a viewer, you're thinking, oh, you, you didn't follow the rules. But again, no one is deliberately and specifically telling him. And it's about him and measuring his character and him learning along the way. But I do love the fact that he does it anyway. He says, okay, I'm gonna go help you find your head.
1: <laughs> yeah, she, she's there and she's a ghost. And,
0: and he even questions that. He's like, is she a ghost? Because the way that she comes towards him.
1: She first appears like just a human woman, but then she glides toward him. And then she says, my head is in a nearby spring, meaning her skull is at the bottom of this.
0: And he tries to touch her and she's like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny because really, she's yeah. clearly a ghost and he's just saying WTF. And so that whole section I absolutely loved. It was weird and the way it ends is very haunting and dreamlike. A lot of these scenes really do play out like dreams you might have.
0: Exactly. It's not like every scene has, I think what you're getting to, is that not every scene, and what you've said to me, and I think you said this to me yesterday, was Not every scene resolves in a specific way the way that you would expect in a normal story. It it is the way that that it would occur in a dream where something kind of happens and then another thing happens that creates maybe a little bit of resolution, but it's not really the end of that story where life is still going on around him. When we have dreams, things might just automatically switch to us being in a different place or doing a different thing when in life we want things to be done in a concrete and finished in a concrete way.
1: You want to know what's happening. You want it to make sense and for things to be resolved. And what's so, so great about this movie is that events proceed like dream logic, I guess, but they are really happening because, like I said, he's just wandering around in the world trying to make sense of this wild place and he's just entering situations and people will either... Take advantage of him or take him in like the Lord and Lady after this encounter with Winifred. And the people are still doing what they're doing when he leaves. And he sometimes he doesn't return again after this one encounter. And that's fine. It becomes this very like relatable story also about trying to go make an appointment with your destiny. Right. And going through this messy, crazy place And just trying to survive, just trying to to make it there. And it's not the way a movie would traditionally have, you know, these kind of series of adventures and everything kind of be resolved. Or like a serialized TV show where a character goes from one place to another and solves a problem or does one thing, meets a character, and then it leads to this other plot point. It's like, no, this is both more realistic but more hazy and dreamlike also which I thought was just a really interesting artistic choice to make for this movie. They totally nailed it. Oh, yeah. So as I said, he goes to the castle after this. I mean, sort of touched on that earlier. And it's much more truncated from the poem, thankfully. And this is one interesting thing where the lady in the castle, who is the temptress in uh, the poem, she's played by the same actress as... Essel, the commoner he likes in the brothel from the very beginning, and it's Alicia Vikander. And that's never really directly dealt with. It's just kind of, for one thing, it plays more into the dream logic, Mm -hmm. but I think it's just supposed to be psychological also. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it is psychological. I also think when I I was reflecting on, on the film was that she makes an earlier comment about might I be a lady, may I have your ear, and then yes and then later on he's then interacting with this woman who is a lady and looks exactly like the woman in which he's having relations with that he's spending his time with and i feel like again with the dream logic it kind of goes into the reflecting the things that happen in your reality into things that that you dream about the person who he's thinking of as the lady is the person who he recently had the most recent conversation about. What if? What if this were what life was like?
1: Yeah, and, and I just thought of The Wizard of Oz. I feel like that would be a big influence on this movie. Because in The Wizard of Oz, the whole thing is Dorothy traveling through Oz. And she encounters the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion. They're all the same actors as their real life people in her drab day-to-day Kansas life that they introduced in the beginning. And then she she's like, you were there, and you were there, and you were there at the yeah. end when she wakes up. And like it's like the same kind of thing. Exactly. I think that's pretty cool. But it's a little more open to interpretation because it's not like this whole movie is a dream. There is a, a specific dream sequence later, which we won't spoil. But it's a little more opaque in this movie. Right.
0: What I also think in what you're saying about the whole dream sequence and, again, the psychological is that... It also does reflect in the events that happen between him and the lady and what are the things that he would have been comfortable doing with Essel that he should not engage with with the lady.
1: He has to do everything opposite with the lady because Essel is in the brothel and he can just I guess he can just kind of be himself because there's no stakes and he's technically royalty but he hasn't accomplished anything he hasn't made anything of himself
0: right and the thing is that even from the beginning he mentions I mean I think part of this big mission and this whole huge morality test and quest to be noble is him trying to find his own way to greatness his own way to creating his own name and so that's why, out of all the people who are in the room, when the Green Knight asks for someone to step up to the game, he decides, eh, why the hell not? I have nothing to lose.
1: Yeah, he's, he's one of the youngest people there. I mean, King Arthur himself. One thing we should mention is that King Arthur and his wife, I want to say Grendel, Gu- Guinevere. Yeah, Gwen- Grendel is the is the monster in Beowulf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, should... All those all those G names I you get mixed. You should mix- keep it in here. All those G names I get mixed up. Grendel, Guinevere.
0: You should keep that. Cause um, it's funny.
1: Yeah, and I think his horse is even named... I don't know if they say it in the movie, but in the story, his horse also has a long G name. But yes, Guinevere and King Arthur, they're both older. They're a little more, like, calm parental figures, Yeah. I guess. Uncle and aunt. To Gowan, you get the sense that they've had their time. They've had their glory days, I guess, and now they're elder king and queen just kind right. of in their place. They've been doing this a long time, it, and Gowan now has to carve out his own glory days exactly
0: because the thing is you know when you're considering all the events that happen with king arthur and then in the world that's around them in this movie it conveys them as being a little bit older they're more tired they're of course they're a little bit older i mean it you know they're they're not in the way that we would normally think of king arthur and and i think that that's when he has this parental sort of role in this feeling of let me advise my nephew here and tell and tell Sir Gowen, oh, hey, you know, like, I think you have to make the path for yourself of what you want and what, what it is that you want people to know of you. To the point where he obviously, I mean, even though, yes, he's related, is able to then, you know, when he does initially do the first blow to the Green Knight, that he has borrowed King Arthur's sword, which at the time that he's actually using the sword, he's wielding fine because he's young, but you can see in the film that King Arthur's having a hard time holding his own sword which once was you know this big status symbol this big point of of him being like this powerful man and again it's it's like well now you have this young nephew who has to step into his own his own place of again goodness greatness nobility and his own level of power taking up the mantle in his own way which i found interesting because i feel like i always think of King Arthur as being younger, not being more tired or being fatherly in this specific way that he was. This movie just made me think of so much. There's so many layers, and I found that really quite enchanting.
1: Yes, it's very rewarding. There's so many different themes to ruminate on, and the movie does leave a lot kind of open-ended and up to you for interpretation. They tried to have as many artsy, mind-bending visuals as they could while still being a pretty relatively straightforward fantasy quest movie and I I didn't find it overindulgent or going off its path or anything it was all balanced really well right and it really is unpredictable for sure even if you have read the poem because this goes places where the poem doesn't including the ending I hope that viewers will just go in with an open mind definitely and this really is more of like it reminded me more of an A24 horror movie than any fantasy movie or like Valhalla Rising, for example. If you like Valhalla Rising, you'll probably like this, but especially the beginning and other parts of this reminded me of like The Witch by a contemporary of David Lowry and on the same studio.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean... So
1: I, I would just just keep that in mind that this is much more of a creepy, moody, oh, yeah. introspective, dreamlike type of story not not a sword and sorcery battle movie i I think we've made that clear by now i just wanted to reiterate that because it's been getting more divided responses from audiences whereas critics all really like it
0: oh yeah i mean one thing that i also wanted to bring in when we think about this movie and all these really beautiful wonderful layers that exist is the costume design One thing is that throughout a lot of the journey, Sir Gawain is wearing black, gray, but he's also wearing this coat, uh, this kind of blanket coat that is this beautiful gold color. Like, it's a very nice dark kind of mustard yellow. During that era, in the medieval and renaissance era, that color symbolized a lot of hope, light, and purity. And so it's interesting that he's on his journey wearing that specific color that stands out. He's supposed to be, again, this portrayal of, again, hope, light, and purity, yet he has been living as it conveys that hope, light, and purity. I feel like that is also part of why people think he's so, that he's a knight, why people think of him a certain way, is because, again, the clothes that he's wearing, the colors that he has on, everything is kind of saying to the world, these are the things and the attributes as a person that I have, even though the actual execution, he's so confused about what's going on. He's more so like he he has a level of purity and kind of like innocence because he doesn't know what he has, that ignorance of what being a knight is. The crowns, the portrayal of the halo effect of being more towards God.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I love the design of the crowns in this movie.
0: Yeah, I love it. Like, I wish that I had one, you know, just like hanging around. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to just let you know, for listeners who wonder about the whole director's cut or, you know, watching more hours of this film, I mean, I know that you and I were talking about how much we wish that there were more hours of this movie because of just, again, there's so much beauty and also things that can be gory or things that can be sad and just all the different elements. It just, it's right in our wheelhouse. It's stuff that we like, but... David Lahr did say that what he hopes for is that the final cut is the director's cut, and that when he has something that is like, for instance, like when you get get it on Blu-ray or something, it's that's the director's cut. So even though I, I know that you did you did voice to me that like there were shots that were in the trailer that weren't in the final film,
1: there were a couple that I'm pretty sure weren't, and so that made me think: are there deleted scenes? Is there an extended cut? And I would love if there was an extended cut. I would love to see more because some things are hinted at or I just feel like there could be more content, more, even more substance to this that could be out there due to how open-ended and almost kind of laid back the general plot is. I mean, it's very simple. The visuals really go a long way with making this as incredible as it is.
0: Oh, yeah. One of my favorite parts of the movie, and you're going to agree, is when the fox comes in.
1: Yes, there's a friendly fox that shows up and joins them for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought about it. I was like, what's this fox doing here? It was so funny. You were like, Dev, you were like, why are you being a dick? Because he throws a rock at the at the fox at one point when when the fox is just trying to get shelter from the rain as what well, just like what he is. Maybe in he thought he point. was
1: he was gonna steal his food or That's something. That's what like. I thought. Too. He kind of just threw a rock toward him. I mean, the fox yeah, yeah. was very far away, and then yeah. the fox comes in another way a minute later, and then Dev is just like, "Hey, wanna?" He's like, "You wanna join me here or something?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was cute because it's like every element. I mean, you you made the really great point about Sir Gawain's mom. So with his mom, that she's the one who... It feels almost like she's the puppet master. And so throughout the film, there's all these moments when you're thinking, okay, these people are being introduced or this thing's happening. Then suddenly something that might disappear will reappear later. And it also goes into what you expressed earlier about dream logic.
1: Well, yeah, he, like, he gets his axe back. His horse shows up again after... A later event in his quest. Yeah, after he gets things... stolen by the bandit. Yeah, and and yeah, both the axe and the horse were stolen by the bandit. And the, these things aren't really explained, but it's almost like there's someone watching over him, kind of manipulating these things. It's never obvious or clear.
0: Exactly. And
1: I liked that that mystery.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was. I thought that was really cool. But then you also think, huh? Like, who brought back the horse? How did that happen? Yeah. You know. The other thing I think that I I wanted to also, an element that I thought of in this movie and kind of a theme, yes, it's about the Green Knight, and there's a game overall, but we have to take into consideration that the Green Knight comes on Christmas, and he comes on Christmas, and then a year later, on Christmas, he's supposed to go and return to go find him, and that's part of the journey. But the other thing that I was saying about with, uh, like, colors and their meanings in that time is that, because he has a whole conversation with, in the castle, with the lady and with the lord and the lady, is that they're talking about, well, what does grain mean? Does it mean that he's not of earth? Does it mean that he is of earth? Does it mean nature? What does it mean? Another medieval meeting is actually about the time of Epiphany, and which is the time during Christmas. I think that as much as it may not be talking that much about God or Christ or things like that, they do mention those things because of Christmas and being grateful of Christ's birth and things like that earlier in the film, but I think that part of the message besides him finding his way in his character and his moral judgment is kind of also facing to that the Green Knight to a degree is almost like the judgment of God. It just makes me think about you have free will to define who you will be in the end of your days, but I'm also here to judge and define whether you live or die because that's part of what happens, you know, later on in this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love that scene where the lady has this whole monologue about green and what that color means and is the green knight natural or from some unknown place, like from the cosmos, and it gets almost cosmic horror, like where did this creature come from? Is it from this earth or is it from somewhere else? And she has this really cool speech where she talks about how green is the most natural color and things that are green have the most power in the end and they will it's like even
0: at the end of your days it's the the greenery that will cover you that's all that will yeah the the greenery
1: will overtake everything you've done all your footsteps all your physical marks on the world i don't Mm -hmm. know it, it gets philosophical and interesting and i feel like That might be the thesis statement of the movie, probably, Yeah. if I had to think of one, because there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in the movie, and that's probably the longest speech that there is, because everything else is a lot more vague and up to interpretation. Yeah. And there's a scene like that in a ghost story, which I think this movie definitely draws from, because... David Lowry's other movies are, are a lot more clear-cut and straightforward, generally. But a ghost story is amazing and very unique. And there's a whole long scene of, like, a hipster at a party talking about all these things about how we're all connected and the nature of the universe. And it sort of reminds you of those uh, some obnoxious hipster at a party who just needs to shut up. But, <laughs> but in that scene, and that is who that character is supposed to be in that scene... But as he's talking, you know, it kind of makes more sense. And I I guess that's sort of like the thesis statement of that movie. When the lady was talking and saying that, it kind of reminded me of that. Because in a ghost story, there's also a lot less dialogue and all kinds of spacey, fantastical imagery. But telling a very personal story with the character going through all these different strange encounters and everything.
0: Oh, yeah. What do you hope to gain from facing all of this honor?
1: That is why a knight does what he does. Are you ready? At the end, Gowan does confront the Green Knight, as in the story, but it goes pretty different from the poem. I thought the ending really was able to drive home the point of the movie, and there's a dream sequence involved, but all of it, I think, becomes pretty clear. I really loved how it went, and I think we'll just leave it at that in terms of details, but I thought the ending was pretty amazing, and very thought provoking.
0: I agree. I mean, I, the few thoughts I have without spoiling anything are the color grain is very important relating to objects and people and places, etc. But then also a thing that Sir Gowan's not supposed to do in his search for nobility is actually when you're in a fight is not turning away from a foe. And yet he does that. He flinches from a foe. The other thing that I wanted that I thought was kind of cool is that it was a 45-day shoot. And to think that they did all of this in the 45 days and it just turned out so beautiful and wonderful. I'm grateful. So, you know, for, for the shooting period, but also the end result. I'm, I'm glad. And the, the moment like we got out of the theater, it was kind of like, can we watch it again? I loved this movie it's not formulaic, so some people will be peeved off about that. I mean, to each its own. But I, I know that we loved it. We loved going along for the journey aspect of it. And it was like a fable in its lessons that needed to be learned and the growth of the character. I definitely highly recommend it. I kind of figured it would be one of my favorite movies of the year anyway. And it is. So I'm glad that it, it didn't make me feel... Like, oh wow, I, I really thought that this movie was gonna be this and it just really went in the crapper. Like, no, it's I, I really enjoyed it and I'm I, I have no regrets for the movie going experience.
1: <laughs> well that's that's always good. Right? Um yeah, it's But there are it's... times
0: when you go to the movie and you just feel like why don't I do that for two hours? But it felt like time went by and you didn't know it felt like the time went by but it wasn't even the two hours.
1: Yeah, it went by very quickly. It was so rich, there was so much attention to detail, it is just different, and it really showed that fantasy can be something not for kids, because there's endless fantasy movies, but they're just aimed at children, they're just fun entertainment in the moment, but it's, it's so nice when once in a while there can be something like this that's really special, and actually does something really artistically accomplished and just amazing and i I really wish there were more movies like this this is what happens when you trust the artist and not forcing them to say oh you got to put in these fight scenes you got to explain all this this and that it's going to turn some people off it's always better when when the person has the creative freedom and they can make their final cut so I, i it's always worth celebrating when a movie is able to really shine like this and be something unique and special And it's definitely my favorite movie of the year so far. Right. It's my favorite movie. This is my favorite new movie since before the pandemic started. It was really, really great. Everyone go watch it and support it.
0: Yes. Hi, Film Booze. If you want to contact us with any questions or comments or thoughts on the film, you can reach us at filmscaped at gmail.com. That's F-I-L-M-S-C-A-P-E-D at gmail.com. We have a website called FilmscapePodcast.com. We also have an Instagram, at Filmscape Podcast, which you should definitely follow if you are not already. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe.
1: On the podcast platform of your choice. Or on all of them if you want. Why not?
0: Thanks.